Hello and welcome to the Poet Prophetic Podcast. Today I bring you two interviews, one imagined and the other one in person. The first, a conversation between Bush and God. Rejoice! The day is come when every soul his placement for eternity to take and due reward bestowed his earthly role learns what pronouncement God for him shall make. Now, having been called Mr. President by doting throngs, Bush steps up to the fore, for heaven should follow earthly precedent, and saints, like press, should worship and adore. Just then, a mighty angel bellows out, You there, you with a smirk and beady eyes, get back in line! lest you would dare to flout my ready spear from which the devil flies. Affronted that the spirit knows him not, Bush bids the minister his lips to read. You obviously don't realise who you got. My name is Bush. Men follow where I lead. I ward on evil, hunted terrorists, promoted Christian values every day, and shackled in Guantanamo men's wrists. Showing to all the world the American way. With that, the angel's countenance grows calm. Scourge of Iraq and of the Palestine, tis not my place to do your person harm, but expedite your bid to cut in line. Myself in haste will take you to the Lord, who waits impatiently till you appear. What recompense your exploits shall afford, saints in assembly too are keen to hear. Bush then is led toward a rainbow light, a vast expanse, and over it a throne of sapphire, on which sits a figure bright, who speaks like water rushing over stone. All heaven to his glory homage shows, with throngs of saints and angels choiring praise, but, seeing what shall unfold now, silence grows to hear the Lamb of God, Ancient of Days. Let judgment of the sheep and goats begin, the former into paradise and light, the latter for the punishment of sin, into the kingdom of perpetual night. With squinting eyes, George proffers forth his hand. Congratulations, God, that you chose me to sit in partnership and rule the land, though you should teach your guards more courtesy. A gasp through the assembled throng is heard at such effrontery that slander brings, that with presumptive word upbraids the word who made the world its creatures and all things. Of Gabriel my servant true you speak, thunders the voice of God, whose swiftest flight foretold good news, who comes to them who seek, bringing encouragement to hearts contrite. But to my messages that he conveyed, you paid no heed, nor when my prophets did entreat, nor would your bloody hand from war be stayed. Think you, that did usurp your earthly seat, I should allow that such an ass intrude into fair heaven and her realms entire? When I was hungry, you withheld me food. When I was naked, you refused attire. 
I thirsted, yet you took away my drink, and when I sickened, you cared not for me, but shut me up in prison. Do you think, when you denied me, I shall welcome thee? Blinking in shock, his hand outstretched in vain, who thought himself wholly immune to blame, Bush, eager to begin eternal reign, a moment takes to reassert his claim. But Lord, when did I do these things to you? Look at my countless acts of charity, to shower my corporate friends, the favoured few, with gifts and clothe them with immunity. Even the sinners love those who love them. Those weren't my children you were raising up, but snakes, a brood of vipers to condemn, who'll never drink of the ambrosial cup. And more, you starved the people of Iraq, inflicted them with injury and disease, then followed up with unprovoked attack to hurt me as you hurt the least of these. But, Lord, you got me wrong! I did not act to injure Christians who belong to you. Collateral damage is war's simple fact, and those who suffered weren't of heaven's crew. You fool! You err because you do not know the scriptures. It is written, Do not say, Who shall ascend, or who be cast below? What mortal may presume my part to play? My sons and daughters, in mine image made, People the earth, you could have done them good. But that a shepherd's mission was betrayed, While you inflicted all the harm you could. I know your heart, to be like God in power, To rule an empire and your praises tell, So nations bow to thee and kingdoms cower, Such were the thoughts of Satan ere he fell. Now is the end of the aggressor's reign, His wicked sceptre broken, which in ire subdued the nations with unceasing pain, and struck down peoples with relentless fire. I see your dull wit cannot grasp my theme, so as you're led to the abyssal brink, abandon any hope of heaven's dream, for here's my veto in celestial ink. Today is a first for this podcast because I'm bringing you an interview. You've probably heard me ask for reviews if you've read one of my books or you've listened to one of my audiobook narrations. Reviews are oxygen for independent authors. This conversation is with someone who champions independent authors through her reviews and celebrates the hidden gems she finds across all genres. She's the founder of Amy's Bookshelf Reviews, Amy Shannon, I admire her not just for her work, but also for her courage in facing and overcoming life-threatening situations, which you'll hear about in this interview. The sound quality of the interview is not the best, so I'll try to remedy that for future interviews, but I trust you'll find it a heartwarming conversation. Enjoy. You're based in New York State, is that right? Yes, upstate New York. Okay, are you far from the city? 
Um, probably about four hours north. I used to live in New York City. I was there for about 14 years. So occasionally I take uh, Metro. Is it Metro North, the train that goes? I have of... no idea. Okay. <laughs> you, don't, you don't go to the city much? No, actually, I have never been to the city. Okay. I've been out of the state, but I've never been to the city. One of the first things I noticed about your work as a reviewer is just how prolific you are. Last time I looked on your virtual bookshelf, there were more than 60 books just in the pipeline. Right. And yet, even even with that quantity of books, you are still managing to engage very deeply with them. And are you reading from dawn to dusk? <laughs> no, but I... I make time. I use what I call wasted time, you know, time like you're waiting for an appointment, your car to get repaired, doctor's office, or even just kind of like waiting in line. Sometimes it's going to take a little while. I always have a book in my purse and I have my um, e-reader, my Kindle with me, or even on my phone, I have the Kindle app there when I don't feel like lugging around the Kindle. So I make time of reading, but not all books are 400 pages. I read children's books. I read novellas. So those I can read fairly quickly. Mm. But even with a children's book, I want to have some kind of substance behind what I review. And how long have you been doing this? Well, I've been kind of like created an official blog in 2014. Mm -hmm. Have you kept a tally of how many books you've read in that time or reviewed in that time? Yes, I've read over, let's say, 1,355 as of what I posted today. I do any genre from any author. It doesn't matter how big or small the work is. The only time I'll return it to the author is if it's one of the very first drafts. I want publish-ready work because I've yeah. had people send me work that they just finished writing and they're like, here, review it. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're, they're asking you to become an editor. In that case. Yeah. And I do edit, but that's a totally that's separate a different thing. Job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's another job. <laughs> yes, exactly. You said you, you will read and review any genre. Do you have a favorite? I like the, the thrillers, the mysteries. And I've been introduced into different paranormal ones, and I didn't realize how much I enjoyed them until I, I read a few. Sometimes you don't know until you read it. I mean, I've read very sinister and horror and erotic, do-it-yourself, self-help, political books. I, I don't have to agree with the content, but I can comment on how it's written. Right. Yeah. And do you do audiobooks too? Do you listen? Yes. Okay. Any format, I will do. Oh, okay. I might jump on that too if I may, because <laughs> of the nine books I have published so far, four of them I have narrated as audiobooks. Got a oh. fifth one on the way, including two that you've reviewed, Obama's Dream and Elijah. So they're both they're both acted out now. I'd love to listen to them. I've done that for a few authors. They turn their print into an audiobook, and then I have listened to the audiobook and then review that as well. Yeah. All the books that I've given, well, the three books so far, have mm -hmm. all been 
poetry. And do you get many of those? I get a lot of, you know, verse poetry, smaller ones. I don't get a lot of epic poetry, but I really welcome that. I am a fan of of Shakespeare and, Mm. you know, the classics and uh, Whitman is my favorite, but you don't see a lot of that now. So yeah. I really, I really enjoyed your work, not just because of what you wrote, but how you wrote it. Mm. To me, it's a lost art, and it takes a great talent to do something like that. Oh, bless. Do you know where my name comes from? No, no. It's, it's from Paradise Lost. I know that one, and I, I didn't even connect the two. I think that's lovely. Do you know who he is? Do you know what his character does in the poem? Tell me. Yes, okay. So, <laughs> so Abdiel, Paradise Lost is a 12-book epic poem right. by John Milton. And Abdiel appears in book five, I think, when Satan summons the angels at his command to rebel against God. And of that multitude, only one refuses and there's a there's a standoff uh, between Abdiel and Satan, and culminating with Abdiel leaving the the apostate ranks and joining the loyal angels, and then later when the full battle is engaged between the the angels loyal to God and the angels loyal to Satan, the very first blow of that war is struck by Abdiel because he's incensed when he sees Satan surrounding himself with cherubim as if he were as if he were the Lord himself. It incenses Abdul and he goes for him and, and strikes the first blow and that's what gets the battle going. And I love his example so much that I officially changed my name to Abdul in two thousand thirteen and wrote him into my own epic poems. So Paradise Lost is referenced both in Elijah and in Obama's dream. Yes, yes. I enjoyed both of those very much. Good. And I, I haven't read Paradise Lost in a very long time, but thank you for sharing your story with me. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll, I'll get the audiobooks over to you as well. Um, I've got Great. giveaway codes on those. Right. Are you narrating those books or is someone yes. narrating? Yes, I mean, oh. that's that's one of the things that not many authors do narrate, well, I'm certainly not their own fiction. And this is, I would describe as fiction in verse. Right. And But I do have a background in narration and voice acting, so that's something that, that I can bring. It's a sort of USP, if you will. Well, yeah, yeah, I could see that. I mean, some people have the voice for it, and you definitely do. So I, I can't wait to listen to them. Cool. Cool. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> And something I picked up from your website, I think, is you said there's a lack of appreciation and acknowledgement for indie independent authors. So can you say a bit more about uh, where you're coming from with that and what you've observed? Well, I see it in different ways. When I first well, I got my first book published, I wrote it in 2004. It was published in 2005. And What's the title of that book? Uh, unwritten life that was the 
very first full-length book I wrote prior to that I was writing poetry and short stories since then I have I've had over a hundred books I, I kind of lost count in the last couple books that I've written fully I've got like 10 that are started and I'm still going through or they're just kind of sitting on the back shelf right now I have three pen names. I use my real name and then I have two other pen names because the genres are so different from what I normally write with. But I write in other genres so it, I can challenge my writing. But to get back what you were saying about indie authors, when mm-hmm. before they even got the word indie authors, they were called self-published authors. Mm-hmm. And back then when I was starting out, a self-published author would have to pay an absorbent amount of money to a publisher and they would publish their book. You know, they had a little promotion, they print their books. It really wasn't tested for quality. So a lot of people assume that, okay, you're paying to have someone publish your book. So that looked bad upon you. And then some of the quality was not that good. So I think over the years and with the increase of online availability for books and even people to be able to self-publish, and then when the indie author title came out, some people still probably shouldn't publish what they write. Mm -hmm. I mean, just because you can doesn't mean you should. But with reading a lot of these indie authors' works, I found that there's hidden gems out there. Yeah. I wouldn't have normally read them except for the fact they asked me to read their book. Yeah. And I know as an author how important it is and how scary it is too when you give your work to someone and say, tell me what you think. <laughs> it's yeah. something you wrote and you have no idea what the other person is going to come back as. Yeah. Me, I always try to look at the most positive stuff I could pick out of the book. That's why I never give a rating lower than three. Mm -hmm. And three is kind of like an average rating. Not everything was good, but not everything was bad. If I find a book, I would rate a one or two. I'll return it to the author and tell them why. And Mm -hmm. then whenever they fix whatever needs to be fixed with their work, they can always resubmit it at a later date. Right. So what sort of percentage of books submitted to you would you say that you return to the author? I think I've returned to the author maybe about 3 to 4%. Okay, very low. I make sure everything on my website, my policies are clear. Mm-hmm. And as they change, I update them and it's in writing. And then I also publicly show what my reading lists are and where they are. That's why they're broken up into different shelves so people can see where their position is. I'll get bombarded with emails asking me when I'm going to read their book. So I decided Mm -hmm. to put it publicly and then they can just go look there and see where the position is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm very impressed with the, uh, with the organization you have. And indeed in that first email that I got from you, you said this is the way you do it. This is what this is the information you fill out. This is the procedure, so everyone knows where they stand. I kind of have to do that. Sometimes things change, um, you know, and I keep up with as many as I can, and then I always 
even when they're posted, I always share them, you know, on Facebook and Twitter and Google Plus, the social media stuff. But I'm very transparent with what with what I'm doing. Okay. And do you think attitudes are changing, that there's more acceptance now among the reading public that self-published authors slash independent authors are legitimate or even exceptionally good? I think that some attitudes may be changing. People may be more apt to read a book that after they've read someone's review and say, oh, yeah, this sounds like a good book. I offer promotions on my other blog to help indie authors as well. Get your name out there, get their brand out there. But I can tell you it's like any author. Sometimes authors are in a rush to get the work out there and they think that they got to keep getting books out, getting books out, getting books out when maybe they just need to take time with one book at a time and Mm. focus on that for a while. Yes, I mean, I I was in a hurry. (laughs) When I started self-publishing, I I sort of put them out one bang, 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 and then realized this could do with a better cover. Uh, I need to maybe rewrite the description. But that is one of the beautiful things about self-publishing is that you can adjust later on if you think there are enhancements that can be made to a book. And I want to, <laughs> if I'm straying into uh, a territory that's too personal for the podcast, uh, we, we don't have to uh, go there. But in your bookbub profile that you wrote, you're quite candid about some of the things you've been through. Cancer in 2004, and you survived domestic violence the following year and your spouse uh, went to prison as a result. How those experiences informed, I suppose, your worldview? Well, I can tell you the, um, well, I got the word about my remission of cancer. And then shortly after that, my mother-in-law, who I was very close to, she passed away. Mm. And it was after that, I was just kind of trying to figure out Sometimes death and near death causes you to reflect on your life. And it was about a week after my mother-in-law passed away that I sat down behind my computer and started to write what I thought was going to be a short story and ended up being the book Unwritten Life. Okay, Um, that was the first one. So your book Unwritten Life came from that genesis of the, dare I say, trauma or grief? Or I think it was kind of like there's something missing, and I hadn't really written stories in a long time. I mean, since I was in high school, and this was, you know, I was in my early 30s. But I was busy. I was working full-time job, and I was being a mother, and, you know, I was doing everything that I needed to do for everybody else. And I think with the reflection of my mother-in-law's death and kind of my own mortality, I'm like, there's something missing from me. So I started writing, and then a year after that, my husband decided to um, try to kill me because he wasn't happy that I told him to choose his family over drugs I found out that he was doing. Mm. And then he went to jail, and I had to go through a big, huge fight with the legal system. Mm. And as these things happened, I started writing more stories. And some have nothing to do with 
what happened. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I actually wrote a fictionalized version of my domestic violence encounter. I didn't want to write like, okay, this is the true story about it. I, I took what happened to me thinking it would help me heal in some way and created a fiction version of it. And what happened to the character and how she dealt with things was very similar to what I did and even the issues she came up with the legal system. But I found that what always made me feel better, no matter what was going on in my life, was being able to write. I connected with my characters. Sometimes I have more than one project going on at the same time. And that then I'm reading. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm reading people's work as well. And I get inspired by other people's work as well, not just in my own life. Yeah, you, you must have come across so many plots and plot devices and themes and memes. You yeah. must have a, a, a deep insight into the creative process of writing and across all those different genres as well. I've read a few and then I'm like, I wonder if I, I could write mm. this genre. So I tried a couple. Um, even... I have this, I call it a guilty pleasure. I like superhero television shows. I'm really a big nerd at heart. So, well, I've started trying to write like a fantasy slash superhero story. If I succeed at that, I'm going to come up with a, another pen name because it just wouldn't fit with under what I write under my normal name or other names. So we'll see what happens with that. It's, I like to challenge my writing. I mean, I know I can be a technical writer because I've done that in jobs. I can write an academic because I'm working on my second master's. So I know academic writing and, of course, Your creative second writing. Master's. Yeah, I'm working on my MBA. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. Okay. And what was your first MA in? Adult education. Okay. I got a bachelor's in English because I wanted to improve my writing. And then I was homeschooling my my youngest sons. They're 19 now, and they just graduated recently. But I homeschooled them, and I wanted to give them the best education possible. So I took a master's program in adult education to help me just be a better teacher. And then I have a goal, and I'm hoping in the next five years or five to ten years to own my own business. So I thought getting a, my MBA now would be good. It would help with something like that in the future. People find it interesting that I can do well with the logical stuff like mathematics and accounting and <laughs> economics. And yeah, I can still do the creative stuff as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say, too, in this era of self-publishing, that many writers have to use both sides of the brain with the yeah i agree with that yeah with the marketing and the advertising and the analysis of the marketing to understand what's going on and, and identify who one's readers are who to target and that kind of thing yeah so even if they have to... help they can't rely and they shouldn't have to rely on other people to know that they should have some concept of what it's about yeah yeah so, and you said your, your youngest sons are 19? Yes. And you said they've left home now or they're still there? No, they're, they're still here. I have three sons living at home. The twins are 19. 
One of them is special needs. And then I have my um, an, another son who just turned 22. And then my oldest, he's 27. He'll be 28 in the spring. And he lives with his father. Okay. So uh, his father presumably is, is <laughs> I should put it's, it at large. <laughs> no, actually, um, my oldest son has a different father than my three youngest sons. The man who went to prison for trying to kill me, nine months after he got out of prison, he dropped dead of a heart attack getting out of the shower at his girlfriend's house, who he was also abusing. And she knew about it. So she knew why he went to prison. She was his pen pal while he was in jail. And with my situation, it wasn't something that it was like something that just came on all of a sudden at the end. Uh, fascinating, when you've got the benefit of distance from it, fascinating character study of the hus- the ex-husband and the, and the follow-up girlfriend who was writing to him while he was in prison. I mean, <laughs> yeah. what's, what's that about? Uh, yeah, I don't know. And then she's surprised when he, you know, takes advantage of her. And... Yeah. Uh, well, I, I must say, um, very impressed. You've got you're a single mum. Uh, you've got three sons living at home. One of them special needs. Meanwhile, you're writing prolifically, reviewing pr- prolifically, and you're stacking up your academic qualifications. The, it's a very, very remarkable life, to say the least, that you're leading. Thank you. It's the only life I, I know. I just. Yeah. You do what you you do what you have to do, and then you do what you want to do too. You you can't just do one or the other. You have to do both, or you know you're not living to be to the fullest. Yeah. Is there a faith that you that you have that keeps you going when when things have been tough? I think it's. I really. Do, I'm not a religious person, but I have faith that there's something. There's something that I just don't know and don't see. Yeah. And like my mother passed away 22 years ago. So she has been like just her influence. It guided me my entire life. And even after she passed, I always felt like she was there with me on on days that, you know, I just didn't want to keep moving. Mm. There are days like that, you know, not. You know, there are some days that you just need to, you need somebody to kick in the pants to get moving. And that's just like, that's what my mom does for me, whether she's here or not. And have you, have you been um, experiencing depression now or in the past? Sure. I have chronic depression. Recently, I've gone back to counseling to help out with that. See, I still have I have some physical side effects from what my ex-husband did to me. So I have a daily migraine. I I have headaches that never go away. So that kind of reminds me of all that. So um, the one thing I can say, the best part about the migraine is not the pain, but as the pain increases, I get really creative. It's okay. like it triggers a creative spot in my brain. So even though my head hurts too much to sit behind the computer, I have all these notebooks I can write these ideas in. And then when I feel better, then I can make some sense of them and create stories out of them. Right. Have you tried some kind of 
mind-altering practices either through shamanism or drugs that can sort of take you into other dimensions? No, I don't have to do that. My migraines do that for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wish there were a less painful way for you to yeah. enter that state of consciousness. Yeah. So changing subjects a bit, what are, you, what are your plans for Christmas? I'm having uh, all four of my sons and I'm having my dad over. Okay, I've been taking care of my dad because he recently had open heart surgery. So I've been having to take care of him during his recovery. He's home now, but I have to look out for him. So, Are you doing the cooking? Yes. Good for you. <laughs> I spend two days cooking. It's like for Christmas and Thanksgiving, and they spend five minutes eating it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, the way it is. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we uh, bid each other Merry Christmas? Well, I just want to say thank you for this. I don't get interviewed very much, a few times, and I am on a uh, internet radio show. I have a guest spot on there. And um, where where's that? It's called The Writer's Edge with Mackenzie Stewart, and it's on the internet. It's the Fishbowl Radio Network. I always post reminders through my uh, my author blog. I reviewed her work, and then it's been over a year. I've been the guest every month. Sometimes Good. she calls me in as a last-minute thing, So, but this was Good. nice. Yeah, it's also my inaugural interview my podcast thank you so much uh, for your time today amy and if you could just give a, an indication where people can find you if they want to find out more about you really the easiest way is to just google author amy shannon okay. um, and you'll get my author blog or you can google amy's bookshelves reviews and i have facebook and twitter and all my links are on either blog okay are you accepting more submissions for reviews. It's, I mean, it's hard I for have, me to what, believe that you have any room for <laughs> any more given certain Well, right now, list. what I used to call my waiting list, I'm calling it the standby list right now. So people can get on that list. It's kind of like a waiting list. Basically, I'm taking their name and information, and then when I'm ready to move them over to another another list or bookshelf, as I call it. I let them know. Um, but also with the standby list, if they want to get on the other list quicker than the, and they don't want to wait, they can buy a spot on one of the other bookshelves. I've okay. offered that because sometimes they're like, what can I do to get on the other list quicker? So it's really because it's my time and I have to rearrange my schedule. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, the fees are nominal and whatever helps. Yeah. Well, I would encourage anyone who's listening who is thinking about uh, how much they love reading to to become a, a regular reviewer. There's obviously a, a large number of of independent authors out there, and as you say, there are undiscovered gems in, yeah. in the self published among self published authors, and you can get all the free reading you want that way. Yeah, because authors give you a review copies, and it's a Dare I say a win-win situation? <laughs> right. If you love to read, yeah, doesn't take much to write a review. Yes. I mean, I've seen reviews that I had a person give from one of my books give me a four-star review, and in the review she wrote, "Okay." 
(laughs) (laughs) I mean, we hope that it's something else because I think that a review can help the author see the good in there and also what maybe needs work on. Maybe they don't see it. Reviews can be learning experiences. Yeah, I have adjusted one of my books based on some reviews that came in. I guess it's like what they say in 12-step groups, uh, take what you want and leave the rest behind. Exactly. All right, well, it's been an absolute joy talking to you, Amy, and uh, we'll we'll stay in touch. Very best of wishes with your academic studies, with your family, with your books, with your reviews, and with Christmas. Thank you. I hope you have a great Christmas, and I look forward to hearing your stories next. Beautiful. Okay, I'll make sure I get those to you. Okay, great. Thank you. All right, Amy. Okay. (laughs) Bless you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. That was my interview with Amy Shannon, founder of Amy's Bookshelf Reviews. So to close out this episode, as always, I announce a book giveaway on Amazon. From now on, I'm making the announcements on the same day the giveaway happens, every Sunday. Today, January the 6th, it's Versus Versus Empire. Get it? It's a homonym. Volume 1, The George W. Bush Era, from which I read at the top of the episode. Now it just remains to bid you a happy new year for 2019 and beyond. Until next week, this has been Abdiel Leroy. Thank you.